into a much more fun topic, and it's one that you're probably asked quite a bit. Trained individuals, gaining muscle and losing fat simultaneously. I even get this question, and the way I approach it and tell me if this is how you do it or you do it different is I tell them to prioritize one or the other and work on that first. However, you can do both, so what say you? Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree 100%. I said, I said, you know, just because you can doesn't mean you should, because you're you're going to get most benefit from from doing one or the other, right? Trying to gain the muscle mass or or losing losing the body fat. Uh, of course, of importance when trying to lose the body fat is try to maintain as much muscle as you can. That being said, I do highlight, uh, you know, who are you uh, that you're talking to, right? Because it it varies so much in in the response. So you know, if you have a you know this obese individual who's sedentary, who's you know eating eating two meals a day, not eating enough protein, has, hasn't exercised since they were 15 years old, you know, that individual, you know, you, you get protein intake up to just 1.6 grams per kilo, you know, uh, get them, get them moving. Even, even an aerobic exercise program will put muscle mass on that individual right, right. In, in some, in some instances. Right. So you put the weight training on top of that, and then it's going to improve. Um, so I think it really kind of depends, uh, you know, training status, training age, uh, I, I think whether you're male or female, uh, obviously, you know, your, your, your endogenous, uh, state, you know, what, what your hormones are producing. Um, I think, uh, all of those things are going to definitely, uh, play an impact. And then I think the, the more things that you're doing, right, the harder it is going to be to do both. Right. So if you're, if you're already fairly lean, you know, if, if you're, if you've been training for 10, 15 years and you're 10% body fat and, uh, you know, you've been weight training four or five days a week and you, you've had, you've been eating enough. Pro so you've been checking all the boxes for years and years. Chances of you bought re body recomping are going to be, you know, very minimal. Right. right. Uh, and, and that's when it's most important to really prioritize. Uh, but when you're checking a lot of boxes wrong and, and you, you haven't been doing a lot of these basic things that we know are important uh, and you incorporate them, then I think it's, it's a very viable situation for them. And that being said, I think I kind of take advantage of that. So even if they are trying to, uh, you know, let's say uh, lose body fat primarily, the nice thing about that, if they're doing a lot of things wrong, I can just start them, if they've been sedentary, start them exercising, get their protein intake up, uh, increase fruit and vegetable intake. You know, all of a sudden I can actually get more water in them, all those things, get more rest. Now we add all of those things. I can't, I don't even have to put them in a deficit. And all of a sudden they lose body fat and gain muscle uh, because they were doing so many things wrong. So I, uh, I, that's, that's how I approach it. And Tony, like with the fight sports, obviously if you're in a weight class, the last thing you want to do is actually gain lean body mass, unless you're in the heavyweight class. So for them, it's almost always maintaining a lean physique and or losing fat um, much different than the old days. If you go back to the seventies and eighties, watching old time fighters, a lot of them would just get fat between fights. I remember Roberto yeah. Duran, he would just get fat. Even Muhammad Ali would be like kind of chubby and out of shape between fights, but now, you know, obviously nutrition is better. So, you know, comment on how fighters, modern fighters now approach the body comp issue, because most of them don't think about gaining lean mass per se, but they don't obviously want to lose it. No, they don't. And and to be honest, you know, the preservation of it, when you look at the 10 to 12 weeks, gaining would be challenging, right? Because of the sheer training volumes, the 
the multitude of biomotor stimulus. So, you know, it's not like you're just strength training. Yeah, you're doing strength training, but then you're almost punching some of that muscle off with the sheer volume in, in striking on a heavy bag, for example, for uh, five, six hundred, seven times. But conversely, then the grappling is something genetically dependent where some people put that muscle back. So I think first regarding the lean tissue preservation or size, it's contingent upon the body type. So if you take a Volkanovsky, for example, who fights right featherweight and shorter than most opponents, the he may still be more inclined to either hold that lean tissue or, or even add a little, depending upon the training stimulus, the sleep and the diet and so forth. Whereas somebody that might fight uh, at 145 who's 6'1", obviously their body might have a greater propensity to rid that tissue. Right. So I think the preservation or the actual gaining is very genetically dependent more than even the stimulus. However, uh, to your point, one of the good things is that they are doing a better job right now, if you will, of staying within a reasonable range yes. of, of their, you know, their, their weight class. And I think they're progressing to stay at that 10% or under it, it, We just did that paper Dr. A, as you know, we found, we were very surprised by this, Guillermo, that most of the best athletes are uh, significantly lower in, in body weight prior to the 72 hours, 48 hours, and 24 hours to weight, weight to the scale than we thought previously. And um, even some of those, we have much less data on this from the UFC, but some of those in the offseason are staying within that 10% above body weight and below. So I think the sport has evolved to Dr. Antonio's point significantly, where they're kind of cognizant now of the fact they don't want to put themselves to hell and back. And they're reasonable about how much weight they're gaining in between. And once again, though, it's very, to your point, but very body type specific right. too. Now, it's so great that you guys are doing some of that stuff. Cause I mean, that's one thing for wrestlers and, and uh, USC fighters, boxers that I see all the time, you know, they're uh, you know, the old school method of, you know, losing, you know, uh, eight, 10% of their body weight, you know, in, in a 24 to 48 hour right. period. And, and, you know, it's like, it just, it never made sense. So it's like now, you know, stay within what I, you know, what we call striking distance of, of your weight, you know, so if you're going to, if you're going to weigh in at 170, you know, so stay within 175, 175. If you need to lose two or 3% of your body weight, you know, overnight, that that's doable without having deleterious effects on your performance. But if you have to lose five or 10% of your body weight, you're going to have some performance uh, uh, detriments potentially, I would imagine. And that's spot on, particularly where the the maintenance of weight is sustained, like the wrestling season. You know, you might be able to get away with a little bit more if you're doing three, four cuts per year and you have a 36-hour rehydration window like you do in professional fighting. But to your point in collegiate wrestling, uh, we we got to keep those percentages much more right in the you know in the window of the two to three percent as you know. Absolutely. Now staying on the uh, body composition uh, uh, issue, I want you to comment, Guillermo, on fasted versus non-fasted aerobic exercise, and then also when when bodybuilders go through their diet refeeds and diet breaks, uh, what's the physiology behind that? Uh, because obviously it's a big part of you know bodybuilding training yeah absolutely so um you know so fasted versus fed cardio that's that's one that the debate's been around and i still hear it all the time you still see a lot of uh trainers and and you know fit influencers you know recommended and uh 
And to me, I, I was one that at first I was like, you know, it doesn't work at all, you know, and, and you <laughs> see some of the evidence. And then I started to kind of like look at the caveats behind. And then it was kind of, it became kind of it. Well, it, it might depend. And I, I still think there's a lot we don't know. Um, I would say for, for probably 90% of the population, it really doesn't matter because at the end of the day, it's just, you know, uh, uh, caloric expenditure, you know, versus intake over, over, over the course of the day, the week, the month, et cetera, to be able to do that. So, uh, you know, whether you're metabolizing fat or metabolizing carbs acutely is kind of irrelevant as to whether you're burning body fat at, at the end of the day. Um, that being said, though, I think um, there's really when, when we we actually wrote a paper on this and uh, we, we looked at a, a narrative review and we looked at the literature, a, a lot of acute studies. But OK, so we we have some mechanistic potential things there. But then we started kind of looking at let's look at some of the chronic studies, the training studies. And really, there's there's only five uh, that have been done. And, and actually, uh, of those really only one has been done similarly to what would be prescribed in 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 kind of a a real life scenario and that was done by by Brad Schoenfeld and Alan, Alan Aragon I think back in 2014 and uh and if you look at that study I think they they were looking at I can't believe it, it was it was females I want to say they were track and field athletes maybe basketball players one or the other uh I can't recall right off the top of my head but anyway they actually had the, the, they were actually dieting. So they were in a hypocaloric diet. So they're the only study that actually, they measured body composition uh, pre and post. Caveat there, they measure body composition with the bot pod. So we have to look at, you know, what's the, what's the, uh, the, the, the measurement error of that bot pod and, and, you know, the, the, the smallest detectable difference between those. Uh, so we, we have to put that in the back of our head, but they actually found that the the group that did the fasted cardio did lose like a little bit more more body fat, not statistically significant. It wasn't mm -hmm. enough uh, to reach statistical significance, and it might have been that measurement error of the of the bod pod. But um, what I always say is, it was only done for four weeks. They were, however, on a hypocaloric diet, and they weren't resistance training. So when I put it, in, my bodybuilding goggles on, and and I say, okay, well, what, how do bodybuilders apply it? Uh, so we apply it typically, it's not three days a week. We typically apply it five to seven days a week at some points, right? Mm -hmm. We don't do it for just four weeks. They typically do it for probably eight, 10, 12, maybe 20 weeks. Wow. Uh, so, you know, when you kind of look at all of those different uh, assets, you don't, you don't just do cardio, you're doing resistance training in addition to uh, protein intake was adequate in their study. It's also adequate in, in the bodybuilders, of course. Uh, you may use performance enhancement drugs in the bodybuilding circuit, which might be deleterious to a natural competitor because they might be able to preserve some muscle. So there's a lot of competing, uh, I'm going to say covariates again, that may contribute yeah. to some of this. So what, what I look at is, um, you know, for the general population, it probably doesn't matter for bodybuilders. I think there's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it doesn't work completely. I would say it, it may not be, it's not better, but it's certainly not detrimental for the right. most part, unless you're maybe an, uh, uh, a natural bodybuilder, then it may be because mm -hmm. you're on, on a, on a caloric deficit. Um, but, um, yeah, when we look at the, the, you put those, that number over time, you know, the difference between first and fifth in a bodybuilding show could be having an extra three pounds, less body fat. Right. Yeah. And, 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 being able to, to do that. So what modalities can we do to do that? So I think there's more that could be investigated there uh, for that particular population only. I would say for the majority of the people, 
probably doesn't matter. And the other thing that was very interesting in that literature is uh, there was a, an acute study with uh, that uh, Chad Kirksick did uh, with his group. And uh, they actually looked at what, what I termed protein enhanced cardio. So it's not fasted. It's just let's feed people protein about 30 minutes to an hour before you do that aerobic activity. They gave them whey protein, casein protein, and they looked at oxidation rates. And obviously it's got a thermic effect of food. So it's going to naturally increase your metabolism, but they actually oxidize a little more, more fat in that state. They haven't done an, a, a training study on that, but that would be another potential hypothesis. And that may be another, I'm going to say, strategy that could be used by natural bodybuilders to potentially preserve lean body mass and provide the body with the amino acids uh, while doing the aerobic activity. It could be positive for anybody in gen pop trying to lose a little fat and sustain that lean tissue too, right? I mean, absolutely, a very nice approach, yeah. Absolutely. And the nice thing about it is I always say uh, there, there's also the non-physiological parts of, you know, why you may want to benefit because again, there's no potential detriment, right. particularly if you're doing the, the, the protein component. But to me, it's like, if I know that I can just get up in the morning, most people prefer to lift. They don't necessarily like cardio. So if you're going to skimp on anything in your workouts, probably going to be your cardio. So if you just can get up in the morning, first thing, get that done. Um, now you're able to kind of, you know, change up your training. Now your, your training can be kind of focused. I'm going to do my cardio in the morning and then I'm going to eat a few meals, fuel my body. And then when I really need to focus hard on my lifting, I'm actually going to actually train, you know, six or eight hours later. Uh, now, again, there's there's probably some conflicting evidence or that there's a, an interference effect or some of this. If you're doing low intensity, probably not. But again, if I'm a bodybuilder and I'm trying to preserve every ounce of lean body mass, you know, why not preserve that muscle mass and, and spread out my, my cardio for my, for my resistance training yes. session, yep. uh, as much as possible. Awesome. So those are kind of the non-physiological reasons why, why you may do it. And you don't have to be in the gym as long. You kind of focus on one thing, 